Hi, I'm Trevor Cochran and this is The Garden Gurus Live, a weekly show where I'll share seasonal gardening advice, feature a variety of gardeners from all across Australia and give listeners the opportunity to interact and ask your garden questions. To join the chat live and ask your gardening questions, all you need to do is like our Facebook page and tune in every week. This live stream is brought to you by Still and Evergreen Garden Care. Still is Australia's most trusted brand of garden power tools, backed by 95 years of German engineering excellence. To get your hands on their range, visit your local Still dealer today or visit still.com.au. Evergreen Garden Care and their market-leading brands are some of the best-known and trusted consumer brands within the garden care market. To be inspired and easily create and maintain your garden, head to lovethegarden.com. Hello and welcome to The Garden Guru's Live. I'm Trevor Cochran. It's great to be back with you this morning. It is a Monday morning. We have had a bit of a change in time now on the East Coast. West Coast has started a little bit later, so hopefully you've been able to join us. We've got a fabulous show for you today. Here's what's coming up. Now, are your indoor plants in need of some TLC? I'll show you how to get them back to their very best. And now's the time to do it. It's really critical that you do certain things to get the very best growth results over the next month or two where we've still got really good growing conditions for most of the indoor plant varieties that we love. Um, Later in the show, we'll be joined by my great mate, Rowan Peterson from Garden Express. We'll be chatting all things lavender. Uh, I've got my plant of the week, and as usual, I couldn't help myself. I've got two. Um, So we'll, we'll talk about those. And as always, I'll be answering your gardening questions. Now, I should say right up front, we have had so many questions come in and it really will be um, a bit of a challenge to get through them. So we'll do our very best. If we don't answer your question, don't worry. We'll put them into storage. We'll bring them back up next week. Now, remember, if you like what we're talking about, if you like what we're doing, then please um, hit the like button and share it with your friends. It's always a fantastic way to make the community bigger. And um, we've got prizes to give away for, for the best questions, so make sure you do that. And, of course, Robin will be letting our winners know a bit later on. Uh, I should tell you that uh, I've just come back from the most fabulous few days in Victoria uh, celebrating the uh, Melbourne International Flower and Garden Show's return after a two-year hiatus. It's been a terrific time, and there were so many of you that came and said hello to me, which was really special. Thank you for doing that. Um, I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, love to hear what you thought about it. So um, I'll tell you a little bit more about that as I go along. And I was talking to Robin about it this morning and I've got a whole bunch of photographs and we've got some uh, stories that we filmed while we're there and we'll try and uh, pull together a, a, a few stills and share it with you over um, in a couple of weeks' time. Now, I will get into, um, we'll get into our questions. One very important thing to remember to do, let us know where you're from. Judy via email has actually sent us uh, a question and she doesn't let me know where it is that she's living and it does make a big difference. So this is why it's really important you do let us know. However, I'll do my best. Judy's question is, I've got a grass area, six by six metres. I want to make it a tropical garden. Should I spray the grass first with Roundup or something similar? Any advice? Well, if you've got a... If you've got a surface grass like uh, buffalo, then you don't need to use Roundup as such. You can spray it 
with one of those contact herbicides and that'll knock it out. However, if it's Kaikuyu or if it's a cooch-based variety, you're better to use a glyphosate-based treatment. Now, remember glyphosate you have to be careful with. We do know that there are some issues attached to it, so just um, be cautious with how you use it, but also be conscious of the fact that um, these, this grass, if you try and put a garden down and you don't take that grass out, it will come back and it'll grow in amongst the plants. It'll be a nightmare to take control of. So hopefully that helps, Judy. Jennifer, again, we're not quite sure where you're from, but you did send us a picture, so which is fantastic. What is this plant? Now, that plant to me is definitely, and I'd suggest that it's probably, well, it's a bit hard to tell, but it looks to me very much like a frangipani. Now, it could have actually started off as a seedling, but um, it's it's uh, the only photo you've sent us. So, and it's got a lovely, looks like what soft pink um, uh, sort of flower with a bit of white through it, which would be typical of frangies. But if you wanted to send some more photos in, I could maybe be a little bit more specific on that one. Tweaky is in Perth. Yes, there we go. So we've got a few coming through. Um, we've got some coming in from Tassie, which is fantastic. There's a lot of you sending sending uh, messages through, which is fantastic. Okay, Tweaky, your question, hoping I can help. We have a fluffy ring on our lawn. It's continuing to grow out in a circle. I uh, would be grateful if you could show us um, what it is and how to treat it. Okay, Tweaky, I don't know. Did we get that photograph up? We don't have it up, no. So I can't show you, but I know exactly what it is you've got. That fluffy ring is um, the mycelium of, uh, of a fungus. So lawns, you will see um, basically all the thatch that is built up over the summer months. Now that we're starting to get a little bit of rain, now the moisture levels have, have increased and we're not as dry, so larger humidity, there are going to be a number of you that are going to see what we call mushroom rings. In this case, it's just a, it's a type of fungus, but it's not standard mushroom. Um, they will all be popping up. Now, treat it. You could do some things like you could apply some lime to that lawn if you really wanted to, depending on where you are in Perth. Actually, it's a really good point. Tweaky. So Perth, um, Perth, if you're in the hills or if you're on the um, eastern side of the Swan River, your soils will be acidic. If you're on the western side, it's highly likely they'll be more alkaline. If you're on the eastern side, I would definitely look at applying something like garden lime over the lawn if you want to get rid of it. The truth of the matter is in probably two weeks' time, you won't see it anymore. It'll disappear. Um, as soon as it runs out of food, it'll start to, um, to fade away. But, yeah, it starts out in a little ring and then starts to spread out, and that's what you're seeing. Joanne is in Perth, picture attached. All right, let's have a look at that picture. It's wondering if you could tell me what this tree is and why it's starting to die after being in the ground for the last part of three years. All right, so let's have a look at the pictures. We've got a couple going on. So you've got a mango there, and on the surface, it looks like you've got brand new leaves coming through, which would be very typical of what a mango would be doing right now, um, and it is. So I can see with the second photograph, you can see it there. There is red foliage, and that is not dying. That is on the way back. So that's probably because we're getting more moisture, we're more humid, and that will take off. So it's a mango tree, which is good news, Joanne. So don't worry. It should, it should continue to move pretty well, and you want it to now because... Um, we're heading into the cooler months, and that's when mangoes do struggle. Okay, Marie is in Hobart. Hello, Marie. It's great to have some of our friends from Tassie joining us. Can I please tell you the ratio of Epsom salts and water for a lemon tree in a pot? So a nine-litre watering can, so a typical watering can, 
is nine litres. And with Epsom salts, you probably want to put in around 100 grams. Now, it's about 20 teaspoons. It's actually quite a lot. What you've got to do is you really mix it up. So it's got to be completely dissolved in that water. And then with the nine litres, you would then water that over the foliage of the tree. Okay, you don't need to soak the ground as such. It is okay because it'll it'll get down there. This is about making sure you're soaking the foliage of the tree. Hopefully that helps, Marie. Um, and you could probably pour the best part of the nine litres over a, a larger tree in a pot. Pauline, staying in Tasmania, has also sent us some pictures. I've got two hollyhocks in my garden, but the leaves are huge on one and not the other. Please tell me what's gone wrong. So we'll have a look at that picture and I might be able to tell you. Okay, so there's one. And you know, hollyhocks, they vary. So you get different varieties. Some, some are big and some are small. And I suspect they both look super happy. There's no disease issues. There's no indication of any mineral deficiency issues at all. It could be one of two things. If they're both the same variety, we just one that's just a little bit behind the other one, but um, but they, they both look good. So you're not really doing anything wrong, Pauline. I would just enjoy them. They will come good. Now, Tyson is from Baronia in Victoria. He's been a great fan of the show. It's great to have you join us again this morning, Tyson. Now, can I put lettuce seeds in my garden bed? Can you give us some tips? Right, absolutely. You definitely can, Tyson. But before you do it, cultivate that soil over. So get a little hoe. It can be a hand hoe or it can be a three-prong cultivator. Turn it over so it's all broken up and crumbly. Then scatter your seed over the top. You don't need to do trenches. You don't need to do anything else. It should all be crumbly. Scatter your seeds over the top and then water it in and the water will stick the seeds to the soil just on the surface, and that's exactly how those lettuce leaves seeds will get off to the best possible start. And, of course, just spread them out as much as you can. Once your seeds have germinated, you want to probably pick them, depending on the variety, pick um, maybe leave two or three in little clusters and then pull the others out and move them into other little spots because you should get very, very good germination when you've, got, uh, when you've got your garden bed going in Baronia. Well done, Tyson. Marina is in Sydney. Hello, Marina. Not a problem as such, but I found a box of Epsom salts in my father's garden supplies. Could you explain what the salts are used for? I think he used them for the lemon tree or tomatoes. And it's highly likely that he did, Marina. So Epsom salts, um, typically... Uh, Epsom salts are magnesium sulfate. Magnesium is one of the greening agents in plant leaves. So what you tend to find is if you're lacking iron, the plant will translocate the iron from the, for the centre part of the leaf and it'll go into the veins. So you'll see these dark green veins. If you've got that, you'll, you know that you've got an iron deficiency because the plant is actually taking iron out and it's moving it into new growth. When it comes to a lack of magnesium, um, and the same can go with manganese and a couple of those other greening agents that uh, sit in the mineral mix. What you'll find with magnesium is the leaf just gets this dull yellow sort of colour. It's, it's the best way to describe it. You won't necessarily see dark green veins, but you will see a lack of that. So as I've just described before, mixing Epsom salts up in a watering can and watering over the foliage, it's actually absorbed through the leaves. So you'll see a dramatic change and it should turn your citrus quite dark green. But let me just put it all into context. It's a bit like us. So if you need to take fish oil tablets or you need to take 
you know, calcium tablets because you're at risk of uh, osteoporosis, it's really an indication that your diet's not right. So your diet needs to be really well balanced. And citrus are what we call a gross feeder. So they, they consume a lot and they need a really complex diet just like we do. And if you get your, your fertilizer right and you're putting those minerals into the soil, you're feeding the soil, the soil will feed the plants' roots and the plants, um, the fruit in this case, will have all the goodies in it. And that means that you won't need to take uh, vitamin tablets or anything else later on. So you won't need to add any magnesium into your diet. So fixing the soil with a well-balanced specialised fertiliser, that is a fertiliser that's designed specific for citrus, is the best way to go. I hope that makes sense. It's a little bit complex, I know, but the the simple um, the simple way to look at this is probably to say um, we are what we eat, and if what we're eating is full of rich nutrients, um, that's good for us. That's good for our body as well. So that's why growing everything at home yourself or whatever you can is so much better for you. All right, Joe is in Melbourne. It's great uh, to, to have you join us, Joe. Thanks for all your past advice. I'm getting really good crops now, especially my beetroot. That's awesome. I'd like to ask when I start growing petunia and pansy plants from seed in my new greenhouse. So petunias are a summer plant. You really probably, because you've got a greenhouse, if it's warm inside, you could plant petunias probably in August, ideally in September, plant them out in October in the garden and they'll do really well through the summer months. Pansies are the reverse. They're a cool climate plant. And the interesting thing about pansies is plant your seeds now. They will, they'll be ready to plant out next month in May. And as the weather gets colder and as the daylight hours get shorter, the flowers of the pansies will get bigger. It's a really interesting um, thing of nature as to how those flowers really work. So um, that would be my advice to you. Plant your pansy seeds now. Plant your petunia seeds later on in the year, probably August, September, as soon as you get a bit of warmth in that, in that greenhouse. Hopefully that helps. Joe in Melbourne and staying in Victoria, Natalie, how do I stop banana trees growing next to a fence? There's only one way to do it, and that's to actually dig them out, I'm afraid, Natalie. Um, good thing is if they're a true banana, they won't be that difficult to get out. Um, but, yeah, you don't want them next to a fence because... One of the interesting things about bananas is that they're one of the very few plants that actually moves. What I mean by that is where you plant the very first plant, you'll find that it'll keep moving away from where the original plant was. Now, that is because they produce suckers. So a couple of things about bananas. One is bananas, for a start, are the world's biggest herb. They're actually a herb. So all the, um, all the goodness uh, is actually down... In the, in the rhizome, in the core, in the, the, the root system that's a, full of nutrients and, and, uh, and life and also the growth shoots. Then what you see come out, the banana plant itself, is actually just growth coming from that, that base. So it's the base that's really important. And then from the base all the way up through that shoot will come a flower. Usually it's about 28 months after um, the plant has been put into the ground. So typically in warmer climates, it'll be less. Cooler climates, you're talking 28 months, so just over two years. That flower will come out, hang down, and as it comes down and the flowers open all the way through, each one will be a big hand of bananas, and that's how it kind of works. 
hopefully um, that helps you. But look, simple answer is dig them out. Natalie, I'm sorry. There's no easy way to get around it. Lynn is in Claremont. Claremont is in WA. Wondering when is a good time to transplant a three-metre, three-year-old frangipani from a large pot into the ground? Well, Lynn, it's probably right now. Ever you going to do it? Do it now. It'll get enough root system down during the winter to get through the winter. Typically, if I was going to do it, I would do it in November. So they grow really strongly during the warmer months and that would be the time you get in. The only thing you don't want during the warmer months is it drying out. So as long as you've got good water, it'll do really well. Now, I mentioned that uh, over the, the last week or so, we've been doing a huge amount of work um, on the East Coast and I specifically spent um, three days at the Melbourne International Flower and Garden Show, of which one day I spent the best part of it um, at my friends at Garden Express's display, which was just going off. And we've got Rowan joining us this morning. Rowan Peterson, how are you, mate? I'm well, Trevor. How are you? Very good, thank you. Great show, Rowan. You guys just were buzzing. It was. It was a complete success. Um, I think all the people that had missed out for the last two years being the show had been cancelled um, were out in force. So, yeah, it was really good. Um, some great gardens there and lots to see and do. And the numbers must I, – I haven't seen the final numbers, but certainly um, you know, the Wednesday, the very first day of the show, was flat out. The Thursday was a little bit on the quieter side to that. And then Friday and Saturday that I did see were just crazy busy, which was, um, was fantastic to see. And it was so good to see the show return. And it was great to see that you guys returned to the show. Yeah, it was really, really great to be there. We love catching up with our customers, you know, saying good day talking to the people that support us, you know, over the last two years and before that. Um, it's always great. So, yeah, we're so glad that it's back on. Um, and and David's, David's obviously um, sitting in the corner somewhere, rocking back and forth at the moment, drooling on himself because he was front and centre in the middle of it. He had the ladies were surrounding him, constantly asking questions. He was, yeah. uh, he was very popular. He's on, as you know, Trevor. Um, he's actually in there packing up as we speak. So... Um, yeah, yeah, successful show all round. Um, it was great to catch up with you as well. I know we, yeah, it was great to be there and, and it was really good to, to spend time with friends. You know, it was just so lovely to see everybody come back together and, and it was such a good feeling, wasn't it? It was, it was great. I, I know we're meant to be talking about lavender, um, but just before we do, at the show, um, a lot of people don't realise that you guys are the main source of the Wollamai pine in Australia. And um, at the show, you had a great display. The level of interest in that plant never ceases to amaze me. Just there were people just lined up to um, to buy them. Yeah, and it's always the way. Um, over the last couple of years, I think just before COVID hit, we had the bushfires and the the um, the trees up in the in the Blue Mountains there were um, under a bit of danger from um, yep. from fires. So there was a fair bit of. Um, uh, publicity around that, which was great for the tree, but obviously everything was great. And, and um, we did actually deplete a lot of our stocks between 20 and tw uh, 2020 and 2021 just because of all the extra publicity around the tree. Um, yep. We've been able to sort of get some of those stocks back. Um, so, yes, we've got we've got a bit there for sale, but uh, we're definitely a bit lower on stock than we have been in the last couple of years. So, um Hence the reason why so many people were getting their hands on them. Now, mate, let's have a chat about these lavender because um, 
when we think about lavender, um, there are a lot of different options out there. And uh, a, lot, a lot of the varieties that we see are imported from different parts of the world, breeders doing work in places like New Zealand or, you know, in California or so on. And those varieties, when they arrive here, um, their expectation, um, their adaptation to our environment sometimes isn't quite as good as we'd like. So they might look good in the pot, but they don't always do as well. And there's a really good story, um, I think it dates back to the 1920s when a a chap came across and set up in uh, in Tasmania um, a lavender farm and started breeding varieties that he was actually growing them for for the oils to be used in the the perfumery industry and and of course he was selling it back into Europe where it was being made by some of the the great perfume houses into used in uh, as a base for that. Now those guys did a lot of work, but but uh, we've never really been able to get our hands on it until recently. Tell us the story. Yeah, so this is bright, this is Bridestow lavender that we're talking about. So yeah. we came over here um, with a young perfum- a perfumer, sorry, uh, in 1921. So you were you were right on the money there. Yeah, um, he had handpicked some seeds from the French Alps um, and brought them over here to Tasmania to grow, um, and they thrived. Perfect conditions. Um, not not dissimilar from from France in some areas, um, yeah. and yeah, like you say, he was able to grow them uh, successfully here um, in abundance. Um, another good thing about Brightso lavender is it's very low camphor, uh, so um, camphor is what sometimes gives lavender a bit of a mothbally smell. Um, yeah. So these low in that, so um, really high in that lavender scent that that uh, the perfumeries in Europe wanted and still to this day use. Um, well, obviously, um, there's been a lot of breeding done as well since those early days. I mean, we're literally, you know, 101 years down the line. Um, those plants that are, have been bred down there are now obviously adapted to the Southern Hemisphere and to our Australian climate. Getting your hands on them is probably a guarantee of not only a good quality um, plant, but actually a plant that is adapted to the Australian environment and as such probably grows better. If you've struggled in the past, these are probably the varieties you want to get your hands on. Yeah, that's right. So we've put together a sampler of four of the very best varieties from, from yep. Brightstone. Uh, you'll get um, Brightstone Anne, which is a, um, a really good one for cut flowers, obviously, but also oils. Um, you'll get Elizabeth, which is a uh, is a beautiful one for hedging. So it, yep. it will really well. Um, Jennifer, which is a, um, a really intense, high-fragrant lavender, um, and also uh, Philippa, which is uh, also a, hedge, a great variety for hedging, but it's also used um, in culinary uses. Uh, so, so you can get all four of those uh, to grow in your own garden, which is, yeah, not something that comes up a, a lot. They're, um, they're absolutely beautiful. We've just been showing the pictures of the lavender farm and, and obviously the plants in situ. Um, they're just stunning. They really are a great addition to to any garden, really. And um, one of the things that very few people, you know, we, when we think of lavender, we think of it um, the purpose, obviously, of the of the fragrance and of taking advantage of that. But um, one of the the reasons why I grow lavender is because it's such a great source of pollen for bees, and it tends to feed them for the best part of the year. So, lavender is one of those plants that tends to flower when a lot of others are not flowering, and as yeah. such, it's it's a pretty important one to add into your garden if you want to, um, if you do want to have happy bees in your environment as well. So, um, I, I suppose the thing here, mate, is you've got four 
um, yep. and they would come in a in your uh, one of your blister packs, uh, yeah. so they they travel well. Um, what what sort of deal can you do for our viewers? So so as you say, it's four varieties. Um, they'll come in fifty mil pots. Um, mm-hmm. Regularly, they're thirty nine dollars sixty. Uh, so it's a really nice starter pack um, sampler, as we call it. Um, regularly. Yep. Nine sixty. Um, we're selling them at the moment for twenty nine seventy, uh, which is a twenty five percent saving um, straight off the bat. So wow, uh, that's awesome. Um, have you got a lot of stock? We've got a fair bit. Yeah, we've yeah. we've been able to um, to source a fair bit of it. Um, we've also got each of those varieties that are available individually. If someone wants, you know, four of one of them rather than uh, rather I was than about four. to say. Because, um, you know, if uh, you've just talked about the different characteristics of each one, but, you know, for example, if you want to actually get a hedge, it might be wise just to get uh, one variety, but um, maybe get three packs so you end up with 12. Um, you plant them at metre spacings and then you've got a 12-metre hedge. Hedge, yep. Yeah, so, mm. so they are available individually as well. Uh, so, yeah, if you want to create a fantastic lavender hedge, that's the way to do it. Terrific, mate. Look, it's a great deal, Rowan, and it's important for people to remember that um, this is one of those very rare situations where you can see this, you can see the pictures that we've put up, you can obviously hear us talking about these plants and how to get the best results, and if anybody's got any questions, please send them in as well. But um, the really important thing to remember here is that Garden Express, you can you can shop from the comfort of your armchair, and then, of course, you can um, have them delivered direct to your doorstep. Directly to your door, yeah. Jump online at uh, gardenexpress.com.au, place your order and we'll get it straight out to you and delivered directly to your door. Rowan Peterson, it was great to catch up with you last week. It's great to catch up with you today, mate. And thanks for that great deal. It's a really good one. Enjoy it. Garden Express are Australia's leading mail-order gardening service, offering a wide range of quality garden products. Each week on the Garden Gurus Live, the team at Garden Express will share a weekly offer. So make sure after today's show, you jump online and visit their website. We've got a lot of questions flowing through on just looking at them coming through. Let's go to Queensland. Matia is in uh, Balcom Hills. Now you do send us uh, quite a bit of, uh, quite a few questions. You must love your garden. Now you see my okra tree, tree which is interesting so we've got a photograph i think going up here somewhere oh yeah i'm i'm just waiting to see the photo here at our side um and you describe it as a tree and it's pretty big uh, my okra at home is probably i reckon oh under a meter in height i reckon that's that's well over it um you've got some um look from what i can see of that photo You've got a bit of pest damage on there. Now, you've asked, you've said you've tried an eco oil pyrethrum, and I can't quite see, Robin, the um, rest of the question. Um, but what, what you're seeing is the fruits are small. Can I please help? Look, and interestingly enough, um, Matia, I think that, that with okra, it's an interesting thing. Some varieties are a lot bigger. The red, for example, can be quite long, but that green form, that tends to be small and it's better to be small. So it may well be a varietal thing because um, daily rains, um, the pests won't affect the size of the fruit. The only thing that could affect the size of the fruit could be nutrition 
So you could give it a feed. It actually looks pretty lush and healthy to me. I think you'll find this is more a varietal thing than anything else. Robin, and we're not sure where you're from, Robin, I was wondering if you'd give me advice on baby grasshoppers all over my young lemon and lime trees. I see Bunnings have an insecticide, but you obviously can't use it on fruit trees. Well, you can, and certainly um, pretty much all crops are treated with insecticides of some form or another to control pests. And I think that... Um, I think I'm getting a message here. So this one says that's a slow type in. <laughs> um, so you, what you're really asking is, uh, can you use an insecticide on the fruit trees? And the the answer is you can. But the truth of the matter is, with regards to um, grasshoppers, is that grasshoppers are best controlled by what they call bran baits. So this is literally bran. It's treated with a, it's actually soaked with a, an insecticide that affects the grasshoppers. The grasshoppers will prefer the bran to eat than the foliage of your plants and they will go for it. So they'll, they'll eat that first and that will control them. The good thing about that is you don't have to stick the bran baits on your, actually on the plant itself. So you can keep them separated regardless. Most insecticides have what they call a withholding period and you need to read this out. Um, really, really important um, for you to, to make sure that you're, you're a little bit cautious with regards to applying you know, any kind of chemical, to be quite honest, but just being conscious of the fact that written on the label will say withholding period, and that's what you need to be conscious of. So it's usually seven days, but it'll depend on the, on the type of treatment you're using. Hopefully that helps. Jan Godfrey is from far north Queensland, um, about 100 kilometres west of cans sounds amazing just wondering if you can give me some advice on my frangipani trees now there are some of the original trees on a certified organic property planted back in the 60s um, when my husband's parents owned the farm however this year they look particularly sickly and distressed and no leaf covering that's pretty concerning two are very bad and the second two are starting to deteriorate and uh, that really is i would say um that's a really significant problem because um, when you have a look at um, plants like this, you can see that there's something that's really affecting them. It's probably at root level, not at foliage level. So what we're seeing is the metabolism of the plant, the sap movement through has suddenly been reduced quite dramatically. And um, I could be wrong, but I'm going to say to you that I think that this is more likely because you're getting too much moisture. And it's a quite a common problem. I do get it um, when I get cold winters where I live, um, but when you are where you are, I suspect that um, that this really is probably more about saturation of the soil. Is there anything you can do to try and improve the aeration of the soil? Not an awful lot. This might just be one of those anomaly years, but um, yeah, apart from maybe applying a little bit of gypsum around the outside to try and get the ground to open up, it's a, it's a difficult one, Jan not easy and just to put context with regards to frangipani so it's back in the 60s when they went in um so we, we really are probably talking that they're at least 60 years old um frangipanis can live for three four hundred years so um, those are nice big trees but they've got a long life ahead of them so uh, we just need to get a bit of a drier um, summer i'm afraid i think that's where the problem is and you do get it drier actually um in the reverse season obviously in the north um, so 
hopefully as, as we move into our winter and you into your dry season, that will give them a bit of a rest and um, they can start to recover. Applying sea sole to the root system um, will always help, but don't do it when the ground is saturated. That's my bit of advice for you. Raul, we're not sure where you are from, but you've asked, you've said, I've got what looks like mould in my pot plant. Please help. So you've sent us a photograph. This is great. We're seeing lots and lots of photographs. And you definitely have um, mould. In fact, you've got what they call grey mould in there. Now, it's highly likely you fed that with some organic material, possibly something that's got um, chicken pellets in it because that is very typical of what tends to happen when you do that. It will go. The mould will actually eat the fertiliser um, and then it'll die off and the spores will sit in the soil. And if you apply an organic fertiliser again, you'll see it come back. So... I would be suggesting that you move to something that is um, a controlled release, something like ideally Osmocote. So controlled release, uh, it's inorganic, it's, it's got an organic covering uh, in the soya coating, but it releases nutrients slowly through osmotic processes. So um, cold and, and heat, uh, we'll see it expand and contract and that releases more and more nutrients. So depending on what you've got. So feeds slower in cold weather, and uh, more in warm weather, which is actually when those types of plants really do love getting that fertiliser. So I think Cosmocote might be the solution for you. With that, change your fertiliser role. Okay, Central Tablelands in New South Wales, we've got Catherine's asked a question, how far down can I cut a Potosporum hedge? It's about two and a half metres tall. And also, how do you get rid of the black sooty mould on it? Two really different questions. So Potosporums, tend to um, be okay with pruning, but if you were to cut it more than 50% or beyond where there is foliage, um, you're probably gonna set the plants back and you may have some odd ones die, depending on how close they're planted in the hedge. Um, so, you know, down to about 1.5 would be probably okay, um, depending on the variety of the Potosporum. As far as the black sooty mold goes on it, that's been caused by scale. Now the scale, is emitting a sucrosy substance uh, called honeydew from its rear end. Now, the reason it's doing that is it's feeding ants and the ants are coming, they're eating it. And as they're eating it, they're getting that, that sticky, sugary substance of the honeydew all over their bodies. And as they're walking around the plant, they're slowly spreading it across the leaves and the stems. Now, the black sooty mould is a fungus, all right, that it actually doesn't eat or damage the plant unless it's in plague proportions. So the real thing you need to do here is get rid of the ants and then get control of the scale. And if you get rid of those two, the sooty mould will run out of food. It'll wash off the plants with rainfall. That's that easy. So what do you do to get rid of ants? Well, it depends how many you've got. So you can, if you're in dry conditions, dust the ground with something like talcum powder. Ants hate it and they won't go anywhere near the plants if talcum powders on the ground, they'll head in another direction. So it'll protect them for a period of time. Um, as far as the, uh, the the scale goes, which I'm certain that's what you'll find there is, um, then what you need to do is apply a horticultural oil, probably eco oil or one of those things. Um, white oil would be what we used once upon a time. At 2.5 metres tall, it wouldn't be difficult to get in and spray at this point in time. I think... Um, 
I think that's the uh, that's the answer for you. And as I said, um, you don't really need to do anything with the black sooty mould because it will go away when when uh, it runs out of food. It's only eating the extra sucrosy substance that's sitting on the leaves. Wow. Talk about flying along today. We have got lots and lots of questions coming through, but I wanted to talk to you about indoor plants. And if you have a look behind me, you can see our living wall here. And uh, it's got a great mixture of philodendrons and the ZZ plant. In fact, that black one that you can see in the foliage here that's barely, barely sort of visible from this angle, but it's a beautiful black foliage ZZ called Raven. I've talked about it before. One of my favourites, and we thought, well, we'll do something different. We'll stick it in our living wall this time. And let it uh, let it grow out there, and it's doing a really good job. But what do you do with indoor plants when you when you're at this time of the year? So the next two to three months is going to be the absolute peak growth period for them, and this is when you need to be applying a controlled release fertilizer. And what's a controlled release fertilizer? It's a fertilizer like Osmocote that, through a controlled process slowly breaks down, releasing nutrients to the plants. Now, this is really important. Back in the day, we used to feed plants and the nutrients would all rush in. The plant would take it up and there was a risk of burning. And then for maybe a month or two months until you fed next, the plant didn't have any fertiliser. And if you were to treat yourself like that and you didn't feed yourself for a month, but then once a month you gave yourself a, a huge roast dinner, for example, you'd feel pretty uncomfortable when you've had the dinner and then you would be short of food for the rest of the month. It's not a good way to go. That's why these controlled release fertilisers are so important. And this particular one, and you can see what we're doing here is feeding uh, plants in the living wall. It's been something that um, we've used all along. It just means that they get fed small amounts every day from those little micro prills that are going into the soil. This particular one's got an added wetting agent. It's really important. Now, the reason I say that is because what happens is we get these dry pockets in our pots. And unless you put a wetting agent through, the roots that are growing through those dry pockets will eventually dry out and die off. So we need to make sure that water is evenly seeping through the pot. To have a fertilizer that delivers a wetting agent at the same time, it's really good. And probably the last bit that's really important is if you've got native plants in pots, you do want to reduce the phosphorus, particularly for things like grevilleas, banksias, and some people are growing waratahs. So this has a low phosphorus mix, which is really good for native plants. So when you put it all together, a controlled release fertilizer for pots and planters is the way to go. So right now is the perfect time to be feeding. Hopefully that helps you. Now I do want to talk about my plant of the week. I've already alluded to the fact that, oh, I think we've got some vision showing you a uh, little bit of potting going on there, which um, is Bonnie in action, but I've moved on. I've moved on quickly and I, I think I went too fast for Jimmy. Um, you can see these beautiful flowers, which I just literally picked as I jumped out of the car, car on my driveway this morning uh, to load them up. They are, of course, dahlias. There's a really important uh, message here. So they're coming into flower. They look fantastic. Um, there are some challenges this time of the year, usually with pests, thrips and mites. But if, uh, if it starts to get moist, the, the humidity levels are high, generally that'll help control those sorts of things. The reason I bring dahlias up is because now is not the time to be planting dahlia corms. Now is the time to be enjoying them. Um, what you should be planting right now is all your spring flowering bulbs, okay? They're just coming through um, as far as from the shops go. You know, Garden Express has been doing all its deliveries. 
you should be starting to put them into the ground because you will end up in a situation where in two to three months' time you've got beautiful flowering. Um, it was four or five months ago when I planted the dahlia bulbs and that's what I'm trying to tell you is that everything's in season so dahlias look magnificent. The only thing you need to do right at the moment with dahlias is enjoy the flowers, harvest them. Don't be scared to pick them and to use them. And there's one other thing from my garden I picked this morning. How's that? You know what that is? It is a pomegranate. We are in pomegranate season and pomegranates are a very interesting fruit because you know we've got all these little tiny uh, pomegranate um, seeds in here which are all juicy and delicious. Um, we were just talking about when do you actually pick them. Well, just before the fruit cracks open is the perfect time and always the red blush is, is a great indicator that the fruit is ripe and ready. <clears throat> I've got a little baby sitting on here and I probably should have picked it off and it would have made this one a bit bigger, but it doesn't really matter. We just break them open and we take out all those little um, those little uh, pomegranate um, seeds and, and use them in salads predominantly. They also make wonderful juice. So when you've got a big tree, taking them and juicing them is a good way to go. There's a very important reason why you want to grow pomegranates. One is that if you're in a very dry environment, they handle it exceptionally well. Um, they can tolerate extreme long dry periods. And they'll still produce fruit. But it's the fruit itself that's really important for you, and that is because it's a very, very rich source of a whole bunch of very positive um, plant nutrients. And all those nutrients or phytochemicals um, tend to be cancer fighters. So uh, to be able to actually make juices with these this time of the year is a really good way to refresh your, refresh your body, I suppose. And um, if you're thinking about a cleansing diet, that's a great juice to add, pomegranate pomegranate juice and um, as far as growing them goes probably the easiest tree you could ever grow okay how are we going with the garden gurus at the moment if you've been watching the series um, it's been really good as far as the ratings go it's been fabulous to have uh, so many positive um, bits of feedback from you guys immediately after the show sometimes even during it if you want to know what's coming up this week here's a fantastic little promo I've always been a grass man and lover of all things lawn, but lawns do more than just look good. They help clean the air, reduce stormwater runoff and noise pollution, and they keep the temperature cooler around your home. Autumn is the perfect time to give your plants a little bit of TLC, especially any that aren't looking too happy. And I've got this philodendron here that has seen better days and I just can't find the right spot for it and it's in need of a repot. Wanneroo Botanic Garden is a green oasis in the northern suburbs of Perth and was created nearly 50 years ago by a pioneering landscape architect from Holland named Theo Puick. How good did that look? It's going to be a great show. You don't want to miss it. Now, it is 4.30 on Channel 9 right across the country. If you're not sure, check your local TV guide. Um, and, of course, right now, in fact, every single day at 8 a.m., Channel 9 via 9 Life, their digital channel, are also playing uh, past episodes of The Garden Gurus, which is just fabulous. So um, really cool. Now, uh, let's get into your questions because they are just flying through at the moment. Graham is from Melbourne. I've just installed um, Pope Drip Ease line under my mulch. How long should I run the drip line and 
how long should I water for? Well, it depends on the product. I don't know the, the Pope product super well, to be completely honest. However, most of the built-in drip lines release a certain amount of, of litres per hour. So typically you would run your drip line to get something like, and I think it's something like six litres, so you'd want at least 45 minutes, um, more often than not, probably an hour. So it's very precise, concise delivery. And because it's under the mulch, there's no evaporation. And the way it kind of works is you can imagine your soil profiles like this and there's a dripper right there. What happens is the water comes down and it forms a teardrop. And it's really good because the plant's roots will follow that down to where the majority of the water is sitting down the bottom. And that means deep roots are less likely to be affected by hot, dry conditions. Really good product. Um, how long should you run the drip line for? Well, it, oh, sorry, I get what you're saying. Um, I think the drip line itself, the length of drip line, is completely up to uh, your water pressure. So you need to just check the instructions. It's really important, Graham. Um, but it's a great way to um, to deliver water to your plants, roots direct. Now, Diana, I'm not sure where you're from, Diana, but you did send us a picture. Is it possible for a tomato to grow another? In fact, three tomatoes inside. Have a look at this picture. What a great question. Diana, this is a really rare thing to see. Um, I don't think I've ever seen it with tomatoes, but I've certainly seen it with citrus. And basically what you've got is a very mature plant, what, a fruit, I should say. What it's probably suggesting is that this particular fruit has been uh, left for quite a long period of time. And what you're literally seeing is the seed is germinating within the fruit and starting to grow out. That will produce beautiful little tomato plants. Um, it is it's very, very rare. I've very rarely seen that ever occur with tomatoes. I wonder if any of you have seen that sort of thing with other types of fruit in your own gardens. It is, it's not an uncommon thing. Um, citrus and pommy fruit, I've seen it both with, but not with tomatoes. Fantastic uh, question. There's nothing really that you can do. It's just a um, great little thing to have shared. It's a very interesting uh, way that plants work at times. All right, Carol's in Perth. When can I plant daffodils? And a cutting of the frangipani. Okay, well, first of all, daffodils in the ground now, just as I recommended before. Um, get them into the ground, follow the instructions. So I think it's a, tends to be a planted at a depth that is um, one-third this, uh, sorry, two-thirds the size of the bulb. So the width of the bulb, I should say. So two-thirds that. So you want it to be about 10 centimetres if it's about that wide. Um, the... Um, the frangipani cutting, you could get it into the ground now. The trick with frangipanis is to cut them and then lay the cutting down on the ground and let it dry out. So probably leave it for 24 hours, cut all the foliage off, and then pop it into a pot of very good potting mixture and keep it moist. Um, you don't want it too moist, just moist. And uh, it should start to produce some, I would expect, some growth before the winter a uh, small amount, and then it'll go dormant. But next season, it'll really take off. So uh, keep it nice and warm. Sandra is in Brisbane. What can I use to stop black marks on my orchids? Okay, well, generally black marks on orchids is caused by water. So it's a pseudom, what they call a pseudomonas or black speck infection. And the best thing to do with orchids is not to water over their foliage. If you want to avoid those black marks, try and water underneath if you can and what I mean by that is flood irrigation or water directly into the base of the pot but not over the foliage and that'll make a big difference. Rihanna is in Stricky Bay in South Australia. I've got a large raised garden bed and I've had trouble 
getting plants to grow. I have since discovered our pH is 9, which is pretty alkaline, and this is the problem. Can I lower the pH to 5 or 6, or am I best to dig out all the soil and replace it with a better alternative? Um, I would leave the grevilleas as they've been there for five years. Um, can I help them also? Okay, so you don't want to move the grevilleas because they, they won't transplant. However, you can start to adjust the soil pH by adding an acid-based fertiliser. So um, any fertiliser that starts with sulphate of, so sulphate of ammonia, sulphate of potash, they tend to be pretty good with regards to changing the soil. If you want to do it naturally, um, use an acidic mulch. And that's where things like pine needles come in and do a really big thick layer. So using an acidic fertiliser, applying a, a big thick layer of, of pine needle mulch over the top will change the pH. Uh, it's really the only way you can do it. And if you wanted to dig it all out, you could do that. But um, look, it's probably also in your water. So yeah, I would be looking at adding organics in there to buffer uh, and, and obviously slowly change the, the pH naturally. And what you really want to do is bring it down to about 6.5 to 7. That's the optimal range for pretty much all plants to be able to take up nutrients and it should do a really good job. This show is brought to you by The Garden Gurus and Evergreen Garden Care. Evergreen Garden Care and their market-leading brands are some of the most trusted consumer brands within the garden care market. They produce high-quality garden care products designed to help people create their own green oasis. Whether it's a garden, a balcony or potted indoor plants, they want to inspire anyone, anywhere to be able to easily create and maintain their own garden. To find out more about Evergreen Garden Care, head to www.lovethegarden.com. We'll keep rolling along with questions. We're in New South Wales at a place called Cargo. Laura has asked, any advice for someone wanting to start a flower farm? We get very cold winters, not quite snow though, and then really hot summers throughout the year. Okay, so you need to control the environment. So you're going to need to bring in probably igloos because that's what most flower growers use. It gives you the ability to keep the frost out during the winter, but also to moderate. If you're moving air through them during the summer, um, you can put vents in, you can do all sorts of things, but it still protects the plant. And that's the other thing is the extreme of summer sometimes can burn the flowers and set them back. So you're going to need to do that, Laura, but you should just go and get some advice from a professional. Um, flower farms are a pretty, pretty difficult thing to set up and get right. So get the best advice you possibly can from a professional in the industry. Sue is in Northwest Tasmania. We've got a lot of questions coming in from Tasmania, which is great. We've got toadstools growing in both our gardens and in our lawn. We have red ones with white spots and very gooey brown ones. How can I get rid of them? Um, really the only way you're going to get rid of them, uh, the red ones with the white spots are highly ornamental. I know what you're talking about. But the only way you're going to get rid of them is to um, create more of an alkaline soil. So they tend to love it to, uh, being acidic. So if you can sweeten the soil by applying garden lime, that will clean them up and that will get rid of them. Mary, we're not sure where you're from, but I'll take... I'll take a bit of a guess and say it's WA because you're asking about chili thrip. It's even worse than last year. Um, I have used a systemic um, spray. Any more ideas? Thanks in advance. Mary, I am using a combination. So uh, we're hitting them with Maverick every second week. Um, and then the alternate week, I'm hitting them with Bathroid. Now, 
this is a pretty radical way to get control. But basically, if you can do that for a four to six week period, you break the breeding cycle and the chili thrip disappears. Um, the other option, if you're willing to wait and give it a bit of time, is that you can get some predatory insects uh, from the good bug. Uh, they call the goodbug.com.au or do a Google for them. But um, they'll deliver some predatory insects to you in the mail and you can pop them in the garden. The only trick is you can't spray anything at all because if you do spray, you'll kill the predatory insects as well. Chili thrip is a significant problem in the West at the moment, but my feeling is this year we're on top of it. It's still not perfect. In fact, I, I would say to you that this is a good example just here of chili thrip damage. And I don't know whether you can see that, but the, the leaves are slightly buckled and you can see discoloration in them. Um, that's that's what you're getting on, uh, on dahlias. So... Uh, but they're not affecting the flower buds now, which is really good. So that's old damage. Okay, Pamela is in the south coast. I'm not sure whether that's the south coast of Victoria, New South Wales or WA, but we'll take a bit of a guess. My passion fruit vine is looking sick. What can I do to save it? So if you've been getting a lot of rain, passion fruit really dislike waterlogged roots. And the first thing they'll do is they'll get all floppy and they'll look really, really sad. If you can dry that soil out, if you can protect them, and sometimes laying plastic around the immediate outside area of where the root system is uh, will radically change how it goes. If it's dry, if you're in a dry environment, then it's a case of applying a wetting agent and making sure that the ground is soaked. Those two things are absolutely critical. Lisbeth is in Queensland. Now, what lavender is the best to plant in Brisbane? The ones we've just talked about are absolutely sensational. Now, the reason is because they've been bred here. Some varieties are better than others. There is no question about it. And in Brisbane, one of the tricks of getting really good results from lavender is to make sure it's it's actually planted in spaced out areas. You need to get air ventilation through to avoid getting fungal diseases. Really important. It's great to have Christine from Sterling in WA joining us. Christine joins us almost every week. That's fantastic. Thanks very much for your support. I've treated my native frangipani with iron and magnesium, but it's still looking a bit sad. Should I give it a weak solution of fertilizer or is this going to cause problems at this time of the year? No. So it should be growing quite well actually at the moment, Christine. And if it's still looking a bit sad, it's probably because the soil that where the roots are is are not getting the benefit of the iron and magnesium that's being added. And it suggests that you're probably just a little bit on the alkaline side. Can I suggest you do a pH test? And if you're anything more than 7.5 or higher than 7.5, um, you want to look at acidifying the soil a little bit more. And I talked about pine needles are a good way to do it. Pine bark also does it. Um, there are some options out there. Even just putting an organic mulch in will buffer the pH a little bit. So check it out. I suspect that that's what your problem is with your native frangipani, Christine. Hopefully that helps. Vermita is in Melbourne. Um, Okay, I've got a plum tree, it produces bumper crops, but unfortunately when the fruit gets ripe, it has crawling white larvae inside, whole fruit goes to waste. What needs to be done this time so that I can work on that problem before it starts again this year? Okay, so you should be out of season now, so your plums should have all, um, well, they should have been produced and, and have fallen off because you're obviously not able to get control of what is definitely fruit fly. Now, fruit fly has been a real challenge. I am utilising a product called um, Success. It's uh, it's something that you've got to be a little bit careful with with regards to how you apply it. Um, you've got to make sure you you follow the instructions. But what it does do is it stops 
the um, particular Mediterranean fruit fly, which is the one that causes most of the damage in the southern states, um, stops them from going to the fruit. You can use sticky traps. There are baits that you can use, and usually the best thing to do is a combination of all three. But what you do is you let the crop, it'll grow, it'll be green, um, fruit, and then just as you see the fruits getting to just about its mature size, that's when you commence your spraying, that's when you commence your baiting, and you go hard. And what will happen is the, the, the fruit fly will not be able to breed, and you'll break the cycle, and you won't end up with a large number of fruit fly killing that, killing off the, the delicious fruit that you're looking forward to. So that'll help Vermita, but you've just got to watch it, and you've got to apply basically as the fruit starts to get to its mature stage, but before it colours up. Little interesting thing about fruit flies is fruit flies are colourblind. They can only see two or three colours. So um, they see blue. They can see yellow and sort of that range through yellow, orange, and red. So that's why you'll see sticky traps more often than not are yellow or they're orange and sometimes they're even red. That's that's why, because they're attracted to that colour. So as soon as your fruit starts to get a, a blush coming through it, a bit of a red coming through, the fruit fly will spot it from a mile away and fly in and sting it and that's where the little larvae come from. Hopefully um, understanding that, it helps you with regards to how you treat them. So success, um, I have used Bathroid before baits and sticky traps they are all effective linda is in hobart my ornamental passion vine is covering an arch beautifully some leaves are getting a yellow vein through them it's got a pretty pink flower when blooming i gave it some magnesium a week ago now the green vein um the the yellow vein the green is what you're seeing the dark green that is iron being translocated from old leaves to new leaves means that the plants run out of iron. You need to get more iron in there. Magnesium will not probably do anything for you, Linda. So iron chelate is going to be the fastest acting form of iron for you. The one that you're talking about, the pretty pink flower, sounds very much to me like it's the banana passion fruit. And, um, and it will really benefit from an application of iron chelate over the foliage. All right, how are we gone? It's 11 o'clock. I can't believe it. We've run out of time and we've got so many questions that we haven't been able to answer, but I promise you we'll come back and answer them for you next week. Um, thanks very much for the engagement. It's really good to join you again uh, this week and I hope that um, you'll be able to join us next week. Robin is going to send a message out to our seed winners after today's show. I'll be back. Actually, I won't be back next Monday. We'll have uh, one of the other team members in next Monday for a session of The Garden Grows Live at 12 p.m. Australian Eastern Daylight Time. That is, what, 10 a.m. for West Australian viewers. Um, don't forget, we do want you to send videos in. Send us a video of your garden. Show us what you've got. Remember, state your name. State and suburb is very important. And of course, if you've got a question, ask that while you're showing us around with a video. Remember, if you want any information, you can always jump onto our website and catch up on previous stories from The Garden Gurus at thegardengurus.tv or jump on our YouTube channel, thegardengurus.tv, to see past episodes and stories. And, of course, you can always listen back to today's live stream. If you've missed some parts of the show today, you can do that by going to Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Audible. Don't forget, of course, we've got The Garden Gurus coming back to Channel 9 this Saturday, 4.30pm for Episode 7. You saw a little sneak preview. It's a fantastic episode. You will love it. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Trevor Cochran. Happy gardening, everybody. Have a great week.
The Garden Gurus is back with a brand new season this weekend. Make sure to check out your local TV guide for your times.